It does seem a little silly that in high school, it, at ages 14 to 18, I'm teaching students for the first time what parts of their bodies are called. Why do we have unintended pregnancies? We should be teaching them about puberty before the first girl gets boobs at school. Why do kids bully each other? I think my wink wink is bleeding. Why do kids kill themselves? We teach about puberty after the fact. Yeah, why does anybody come forward? I mean, the list goes on and on. For some reason, we get below the belt and everybody snickers and giggles or gasps. People need to understand that just because somebody isn't watching doesn't mean consent is not necessary. It's not only the accountability piece, it's the integrity piece. Yes. And I think that's really wonderful that you're teaching that in Thank your classroom. Yeah. Boop, boop, boop. Yay! Hi, it's Betsy, Dr. B, and with me is Mandy Johnson. And you're listening to episode six of season one, It's Not Human Sexuality. Hopefully you've stuck with us through episodes one through five and you've learned a little bit about reproductive health. Today I'm going to be interviewing Mandy. We've heard her through these episodes, but I thought it'd be good to give our listeners an idea of Mandy's life and her day as a high school teacher in one of the local uh, districts here in Northern Colorado. When we first met, and I actually think it was 2010, but you know, we always go round and round on that. Um, You were teaching and we had the opportunity to present a semester long reproductive health class to the district you were working in. And we were successful in that. It took you two years, but we got it in there. For two semesters, it was very exciting. It was very exciting. And now you're in a different district. And um, one of the things that always um, comes up in your classes is this topic of reproductive health. When we were looking, you know, you've been with us through the years, you sit on the board of Look Both Ways. Um, Obviously you're helping write the addition to the textbook for the the teacher supplement. So we're in the process of doing that. But you you teach a class called Teen Choices, correct? I do, yes. And in that class, these students came up with a lot of questions, right? Yes, so when I do my, human reproduction unit and my unit on contraceptives and STIs and everything we I always have an anonymous question box for students to be able to ask the questions they're too embarrassed to ask in front of their peers um, or to admit that they're the ones with that question and so I just give them all sticky notes and and ask them to write give them a time period in the class where everybody has to write on a sticky note so it will truly be anonymous some of them are questions some of them are not and this past semester in the spring I got something like 30 anonymous questions in one class period, and there were only 18 students in the class. So students are hungry for this information, right? Really want this information. Right. And so the whole idea behind this podcast and the whole idea behind the concept of uh, the reproductive health education is to bring this topic into the school systems as a semester-long class, at least right now for high school students. And in that process, it's a daunting process. We're, we're still trying to do that right now. But in the meantime, teaching this class, you get to touch on this topic for about, what, two weeks? It's supposed to be two weeks. It usually stretches to three, three and a half in my world. But, uh, right, because, but yes, it's because a short unit. The interest is there. And so you've been teaching at the high school level for how long? 14 years now. Right. And so then I taught at a university for 21 years, and we both can attest to students always saying, I wish I'd had this Sooner. Sooner, right. And what would you say in your mind, what are you seeing as a trend that is the most troublesome? A trend that's the most troublesome in this topic, I guess, would have to be like sexual assault and um, the stuff that we're seeing in the news. 
So do you think that your students understand that? Do you think that... They do not. Okay. They don't understand <laughs> what consent is. They do not understand what consent is. What are you doing in your classroom to teach consent? Because I know, I know you cover this in your classroom. I do. Um, and one of the things, I do several things to teach consent without directly teaching consent. Um, first thing I did is I took all of my permission slips and permission forms and I changed the word permission to consent. So anytime they need, um, we're going on a field trip or anything like that, they're getting consent forms, not permission forms. And that's just a little language switch so they can kind of start to understand and then all over my classroom, I've got different signs. I've got a sign on my bookshelf that says, please don't take any books off my shelf without my consent. And on my desk, please don't use any of my supplies without my consent. Um, I do have tables where they can take stuff and use stuff that don't have these signs because it's available to them. But when it's my stuff, I have signs that say, please don't do this without asking first without my consent. And I've got these signs all over my room. And... Um, most students really respect these. You know, they come to my desk. They won't use a stapler off my desk without asking because it states clearly that I want to be asked. And um, on the occasion that that rule gets broke, um, for example, just last week I had some students steal pizza um, from my from my extra classroom. And um, I don't care about the pizza. I don't care about the pizza. But I care about the consent. And nobody asked me if they could have the pizza. So when we had class the next day and I confronted the class about the pizza, um, I just explained to them that you guys made a choice and here's the consequence that's going to happen. You took something from me that without permission and now I'm going to take some of the privileges that you have from you so that not only are they learning about consent and why it's important, but they're also learning about how their decisions cause consequences. When I brought it up with them and I, I asked them first to read the signs to me so that they could bring up the, the concept. So students read all my consent signs and I asked them, well, what's the, what's the, you know, what do these things all have in common? What's the common theme here? And, and they said, um, is it consent? <laughs> I said, yes, it's consent. And, and I didn't give consent for people to eat my pizza. And when I said that their faces all went white and, you know, they knew they were guilty. And so I, um, I told them that, that, that choice to eat my pizza without asking consent was going to be followed with a consequence of, Basically, they took something from me, so I'm going to take away their privileges. And What you taught them was consent is not just in your classroom, but it should follow them throughout, yes. you know, regardless of where they are. And regardless also, of where the signs are. Right, exactly. <laughs> that they are very clear now that consent is very important to you and that there are repercussions when certain boundaries are crossed and it, it cuts both ways. So you, yes. this was a... a quite a teachable moment, right? You know, I like to think so. Well, of course it was. I mean, it was wonderful. Accountability, you know, cause and effect. People need to understand that just because somebody isn't watching doesn't mean consent is not necessary. Correct. And so that is the, it's not only the accountable accountability piece, it's the integrity piece. Yes. And I think that's really wonderful that you're teaching that in Thank your classroom. You. Uh, what do you think is the fallout? Do you think they feel bad? Oh, they definitely feel bad. I had four students confess to me at the end of that class that they took the pizza um, and apologize for taking the pizza. And I told them that they wouldn't get in trouble with me if they would just come apologize and tell me, hey, I did it. Please apologize. We'll be good as long as you admit it and tell me you're sorry. Well, see, no, that's great. because And you, and you stuck to that, right? They came up, they apologized, and you didn't punish them. You said, thank you. We're good. We're going to move on. But next time, ask. Next time, ask. Right. So... That's a great story about pizza, right? Yes. And about boundaries. Now, let's 
fast forward that to a sexual activity or a boundary crossing or a name calling or bullying, something that, you know, crosses a boundary um, and injures another person or violates their consent. This is going to be a really good segue for you when you get into that section in your reproductive health. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely re-bring up the pizza situation so they remember what consent is oh, and, I, yeah. and how it affects people when they don't ask for it. And it, and this was something very simple like pizza, so I wasn't terribly offended or hurt by by the actions the way it would be if, if consent is revolving around sexual activity. Right, but I think it's important to understand that actually I think it's fair to say that your feelings were hurt. Oh, my feelings were hurt. Because you weren't hurt. You know, you think you're, you know, we all think we're talking and people are listening and they're nodding and yes, yes, yes. And they love the consent signs and they're not taking a stapler off your desk without asking. But somewhere along the line, things get lost in translation and, you know, primitive urges kind of outweigh the frontal lobe activity, right? (laughs) And that's something that is just a learned response that we have to keep teach over and over and over again. And that's, that's so great that you did that. Do you think that students don't know what consent is because they don't really understand all the topics we talked about in our in our podcasts, you know, anatomy, physiology, gender, gender identity, gender expression, um, contraception, STIs? I, I definitely think there's an element of that. They don't they don't know enough about anything having to do with reproduction or sex to feel comfortable talking about it with people that they're about to do things with, you know, so... They feel comfortable enough to share their bodies with each other in whatever form that looks like, but not comfortable enough to look each other in the eye and have the conversation first. Right. Um, We're not talking about sex enough for them to feel comfortable talking about sex. They see sex on TV. They see sex in the movies. They see it everywhere on the billboards. And so the act of sex doesn't seem as... As important? It's almost not as important, but, but it's not as scary to do because they see it all the time. But what they don't ever see on TV or in the movies is people talk about the, the, the before and the, the after. before and the after. They don't hear people talk about um, consent or birth control or, you know, any of the safe sex, sex practices. They just see the act. And so the act is what they're used to, but not any of the conversation beforehand. And that's how they think. That's what they think this is all about. But there's much more to reproductive health education than just talking about sex or contraception or STI prevention. And some of that, in my mind, you know, I always felt like once our students, once our youth understand how their bodies work, what pubertal and adolescent development is like, and the empowerment piece of all of that, then all the other stuff will will fall together or fall in place better. Do you agree with that? Yes. I think you definitely need that foundation of knowing who you are and what you believe in um, and all of that. I don't want to call it background stuff to to the reproductive health, but it's kind of the background stuff. It's not what people think about when they think of reproductive health, but learning about what it means to be in a healthy relationship and and who we are and what's important to us is all precursor. Because if you don't know who you are, what you believe in, and, um, you know, you don't know how to communicate well, well, then all of that just goes away. The consent piece isn't there. They're not you're not even checking in with each other. Sure. So you could kind of look at it as building a house. In some regards, when we don't talk about this, but yet kids are out exploring and experimenting sexually and emotionally, then basically they've put a they've built a house on a foundation of sand. We don't have the building blocks there 
to know what kind of house they want to build. Yes. They just are now decorating their house essentially, but they can't really live in it because it's not solid. Exactly. And th- and so that leads me to this piece of, um, I think earlier we were talking about accountability and um, cause and effect, right? If I if I do this, this could happen. Do I still want to do that? Right. And do you think that's a teachable skill? Do you think that we can learn that? Do you think your kids in your classroom are capable of that? I do think they're capable of that when they're being taught. And, you know, if they're invested in actually learning it, I got to say that, too, because you can teach till you're blue in the face. But if they're not listening. Um, but I do think it's teachable. You, there's it's not necessarily something you try to directly teach that you say, OK, if you do this, then this will happen. Sometimes you can teach that. But it's also in in providing that experience in a classroom so that there are consequences for the behavior they have so that they can start relating their behavior and their decisions to the consequences that they receive. Even if it's just something as simple as, yeah, if you turn that assignment in late, you're going to get points deducted. Right. Cause and effect. You yes. know, and if we're showing them that in everything that we do, it becomes a little bit more apparent and easier to to directly teach when it's time to directly teach that. Right. And and don't you feel like, you know, every, you know, you'd have to pretty much be off grid to not, under, you know, not be aware of what's going on right now in the United States with respect to the hashtag Me Too movement with, um, you know, the, the Supreme Court hearings. Um, everything is revolving around a lot of the things that we teach in class, right? Yeah. And so what do you think it's going to take right now? I mean, don't, in my mind, I feel like it's it's long overdue, but now it's critical. We've reached a, a critical point of where I think it's really time to get this topic into the classroom consistently and correctly, right? Yes. It, ne- it needs to be taught K through 12. Yes. Um, age appropriately, K through 12. We teach math K through 12. Uh-huh. And most kids don't go into anything having to do with math or needing math, math. skills beyond <laughs> maybe multiplication and division. And yet we teach it 12 years in a row. But something as important as um, our sexuality, where everybody is a sexual being, we don't teach that at all. And we make it shameful and we make it scary to talk about. And and then we end up in these situations where like, why doesn't anybody come forward? Why doesn't, yeah, why does anybody come forward? Why do kids kill themselves? Why do kids bully each other? Um, why do we have unintended pregnancies? Um I mean, the list goes on and on. Everybody thinks they want to understand all the other populations, like marginalized populations. But then when we try to teach about it, everybody thinks this has nothing to do with me. Right. Exactly. When we talk about K through 12, if if the world was according to you and me and we got, we got <laughs> to boop, di- boop. Yay! and we got to dictate or, you know, have input about what we would teach K through 12, what would you what would you teach if? We're talking like early childhood, eight and under. I think they really need to be taught about their bodies, the proper names for all their parts, how to name them, how to say them, what they're used for. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of what they're used for, but age appropriately what they're used for. I think they need to learn about consent in the early ages and learn that Uncle Billy can ask for a hug, but you don't have to give him a hug. And your best friend might want to hold hands, but you don't have to hold hands. Mm -hmm. And just learning those basic skills in the early grades and then when they start getting eight nine ten and eleven some of those girls are already hitting puberty so we should be teaching them about puberty before the first girl gets boobs at school right so that they're not surprised or wondering what the heck happened or if or if a girl gets her period in fifth grade 
she understands what's going on and doesn't have to go to her mom and said, I think my wink wink is bleeding mm-hmm. and, and the name for it and can explain and understand what's happening to her body before it happens. Right now, we we teach about puberty after the fact. We do. In middle school. And if that. Yeah. You if know, that. Right. But, but it's already happened to them. And so it means less if, if we talk about it when it, before it happens, that then they understand when it when it comes to it. Um, and then I think in high school, we can can hit all those same topics again. And we should. And and dive a little deeper into some of the other things that, you know, we'll have time for because they'll have some background knowledge. Right. And maybe less trauma or drama or incident before getting to high school. Yes. Uh, and and having an understanding of boundaries and respect. And all of that starts at an early age. We, we teach boundaries and respect uh, about other things, right? Kids mm-hmm. learn that. You don't get to take a toy away from somebody uh, without you know, asking or, you, you know, we just don't do that. But then when we're talking about our bodies, for some reason, we, we force kids to abandon boundaries because we do, like you said, give Uncle Billy or Uncle Bobby a hug goodbye. And they're like, no, I don't want to, <laughs> you know. It's okay. He's just tickling you. Yeah, no, but I don't want to be tickled. Right. And, and and the way we use words, like, for instance, we don't with our granddaughter, we don't say it's a secret because a lot of times predators will use the word secret. It's a secret. Don't tell anybody. So we use the word surprise. It's going to be a surprise, which everybody will know soon. Right. Like, right. And so we really work on not using the word secret because secret then is something that can become really dark and underground and um, controlling. And so when we don't think about words and the effects they have on little people and what they mean later on, you know, then we have, we've established a, a foundation of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, of living maybe, and the kids then can be empowered to be in charge of themselves. Yeah. I, I send some of my students in another class I teach to work with kindergartners and first graders at the elementary schools. And yesterday my students went and one girl came back and told a story about how a three-year-old in the preschool um, said something about penis. And he used the word penis. And of course my brain was like, good for him for knowing yeah. the words, you know. <laughs> and um, But all she could focus on was the disruption it caused in the classroom when he said penis. And I said, wouldn't it be a great world though if a three-year-old could just say the word penis because he has one mm-hmm. and he's talking about a body part mm-hmm. and nobody else freaks out and it doesn't cause an outrage or an uproar in the classroom where all the kids are giggling and if we just taught these words as if they were normal body parts because mm-hmm. they are uh then nobody would giggle when a three-year-old says penis but the reaction that kids get when they use proper terms either makes them want to use it in a funny way and be the funny clown mm-hmm. or exactly. it makes them not ever want to say it again because they're embarrassed because they're embarrassed but see they were raised in a home where penis is the appropriate word because it is and it has no other connotation other than it's a body part and so their understanding was this was vernacular this is this is common knowledge and everybody uses that my grandkids use that my kids used common you know language um and but it's no different than saying elbow, right? But for some reason, we get below the belt and everybody snickers and giggles or gasps. And how did your student handle that? What what was the outcome of that? She just moved, moved on. on. Yeah. Exactly. She, so, she didn't buy into all the stuff and just moved on because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's it's funny how we don't, we should just do that. We should just move on. And it wouldn't <laughs> be a thing if every household taught their children the proper names no when it's only one kid in the class right it causes craziness right when the word is said right exactly we all saw kindergarten cup (laughs) actually i didn't so sorry okay (laughs) cut that out
It does seem a little silly that in high school, it, at ages 14 to 18, I'm teaching students for the first time what parts of their bodies are called. I know. And that they have no clue about that before they get to my class. Like, that should be something they get when they're young. And when they, by the time they're in high school, I shouldn't have to teach anatomy anymore. I should, like you said, be able to go into some of the deeper issues and, and talk about some of the other things that, that aren't so sure. so basic. Of course. I mean, as I told you, I taught at the university level and I taught undergrad and graduate and I still had to do a section on anatomy and, and physiology. And while most students are like, yeah, I kind of understand that, basically at the end they're like, I didn't really know any of that. And I, I don't expect everybody to be a reproductive biologist and have all that understanding be, you know, at that point, but I think it's really good to, it's a user, user manual, right, in, per se. You shouldn't be able to get to high school and have never heard the word vulva. I agree. You just, that should not be a thing. You know, but, right. but most kids, when they when they hear that term for the first time in my class, it really is their first time. They're like, I thought that was a car. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's sad. Um, so funny, but sad. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hoping and, you know, why we're doing this podcast is to bring to the center and to the forefront the desperate need to get reproductive health education in, into the class. And one of the things that Look Both Ways wants to do and, and is always trying to do is to get guardian, parent, adult involvement, right? Anybody working with youth. And so we do the, the parent workshops and uh, talk about the stages of puberty. And a lot of parents are, this is new to them, right? They don't, nobody takes a child development class in college. Not everybody, not everybody goes to college. And so we have, we have uh, other avenues in which to try and reach our youth through these types of classes. And I know you're a big part of that. At times we want to feel like we're just, we should just throw in the towel, right? Yeah. It's a, it seems a lot easier to give up sometimes <laughs> than to keep fighting the fight. Right. And so I think what we'd like to do is, is continue these, these avenues of education. The podcast is definitely one way to do that. And of course, doing what you do in the classroom and, and all the support that uh, you give Look Both Ways and the work that Look Both Ways does. And also thanking CSU for giving us the opportunity to record this podcast. But I think we should do another series. What do you think? I would love to do another series. All right. This has been uh, season one, episode six. And if you're still with us, we are grateful. And that probably tells us that you're interested in this topic. We're looking at doing season two and welcome ideas on what other information you'd like to hear about. Love any kind of feedback, how you liked season one or what you'd like to hear for season two. Exactly. And so uh, to get a hold of us, you can contact Look Both Ways uh, on our Facebook page. Or you can find us at www.lkbthwis.org and by phone 970-667-9906. It's been awesome. It has. So this is Dr. B. And Mandy Johnson. And we're signing off. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to season one of It's Not Human Sexuality. Betsy and Mandy have come up with plans for season two. It's a whole season dedicated to how our relationships relate to our reproductive health. We're covering everything from attraction to jealousy to different types of relationships, from marriage to young love to polyamory. 
I think it's a really special season because it gives us a scientific and a fun way to look at all those mysterious feelings of love and emotions that can be really difficult to understand. Or maybe you get it and I just don't understand. But either way, you should stay subscribed with us to stock your relationship toolbox. Maybe season two will let you think about relationships in a way that you've just never thought about them before. So we're still recording and we're writing and we'd love to include your feedback in season two. You can send us your comments and questions about relationships to info at lkbthwis.org. Tell your friends about It's Not Human Sexuality too, because over the next few months, we're releasing small episodes and teasers and information you could use. Season two is coming to you right around that early holiday in the U.S. where we could all stand some more relationship knowledge and reproductive health advice. So thank you again for listening and please keep in touch. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. And of course, we're available on Facebook.com slash LookBothWaysInc. It's Not Human Sexuality is mixed, mastered, and edited by me, Hannah Copeland. For more information about reproductive health, visit the Look Both Ways website at lkbthwis.org.